Joy in fellowship. Today we're looking in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Let me just do a reminder for you here. Paul, writing to the Philippian followers of Jesus Christ, wanted them to be experiencing joy, something that each of us today want to be experiencing. And Paul is, is mapping out how you can have joy in a world that's messed up. People whose minds are messed up, people whose habits are messed up, uh, people whose relationships are messed up. Every one of us has or will go through tough times. For probably all of us, we have, will, or presently are going through difficult times. How do we respond to that? Do we respond to that? How can we have joy in the middle of trouble? Now, last week, we briefly looked at and saw that Paul was pointing us in this first chapter to having the right way of thinking. Last week, we just looked at specifically verses 1 and 2, and we looked at grace and peace. And those two things... Paul began by saying, I want you to understand, everyone says, I am a prisoner of Rome. And Paul says, no, no, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. These Roman soldiers are really my prisoners. And as we're going to review again, as we come to verse 12, maybe not next week, but probably the week after, depending on how the Lord leads but we're going to see how Paul says, oh, I wish you could understand something. And this is going to be important for our lives. I wish you could understand when you look at my life. And I really am almost uncomfortable to use my life as an illustration because it, it would appear then that I'm saying my life is something unusual to yours. My life is not unusual to yours. Your lives are just like my life. I've had some disappointments in my life. I've had some things happen to me that I did not see coming, I didn't think were gonna take place, and I have two choices. I can get bitter because of what's taken place, or I can say, I wish you could understand, not be upset for me, not be bitter for me, not be bitter at someone, and pick up my offense, I wish you could understand that the things that have happened to me have really been for good. Bad things can be for good. And that's what Paul is wanting people to get a hold of because as the Philippians get a hold of this truth, it is going to revolutionize the way they look at life. And you know what? It's going to revolutionize the way we look at life. And I'm comfortable to preach this because I realize I've been saved a very long time. Some of you have been saved as long as I have. But I've been saved a very long time. Of course, I'm old, so I mean, that gives me a good head start on some of you. But the reality is this, I'm still growing and learning and changing. And I've got no excuses. So I don't say these things and looking down on you and going, I can't believe you don't know this. I'm looking at this and saying, maybe you need a reminder because I need reminders sometimes. The church there in Corinth started under pressure. Remember, Paul was there. He was witnessing. He met Lydia by the riverside. 
He casts out this demon from a girl. The city gets angry. They put him in jail. There's an earthquake. The doors fall off the prison. They now, the jailer gets saved. The jailer's family gets saved. And the prison and the local officials all recognize we just really did something really bad. We just beat and imprisoned a Roman citizen without a trial. And God used all of that for good, didn't he? Because now, the city really didn't want to mess with the Christians. Because in the back of their minds, I mess with them, Paul's going to go report us to Rome. So was Paul's beating and imprisonment a good thing or a bad thing? And the answer is, well, yes. I don't want to get beaten. I still don't want to get beaten. I mean, let's, let's, find, a, let's find another way for this to go good, right? <laughs> and the answer was, no, that was the best way that it could take place. So the book of Philippians was a thank you letter because the Philippian people were sending gifts to Paul because Paul couldn't work. He was a tent maker, that was his trade, but when you're chained to people, it's kind of hard to, to make tents. So Paul says, as Christians, let's be single-focused. Let's keep in mind the one thing have I desired of the Lord. So we need to determine what's important to us. For the person who doesn't know what's important or what's what their real goal is, they're going to be bouncing around. And as Christians, that happens to us all the time. That's the reason why James says we can be tossed around. And that, that's no fun. Nobody likes a life that's, that's tossed around. So Paul chose not to look at circumstances, or rather, Paul chose to look at circumstances through Christ, not Christ through circumstances. Paul focused on Christ and the gospel. And as we begin, Paul's now going to focus on fellowship of the gospel. So let's look at our text today. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that you would take your word and teach us today. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts. If there are some today who have never received Jesus Christ as their Savior, some that are not now part of the family, that they would come to understand salvation, that it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and that today would be the start of a brand new life for them. For the rest of us, we pray that today 
we would be learning about joy through fellowship. That we would be learning things to be praying for for each other. And that we might really experience the joy that you want us to have through fellowship. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Fellowship's an important part of our church. Fellowship is a unique word, right? We have a fellowship hall. We have fellowship meals. But what is happening is more than eating. That's the reason why you'll notice, though you hear the term commonly used, you don't really hear me say we're going to have a potluck. I don't know if you've noticed that I just don't ever say that. And there's a reason why I don't call it potluck. If you're coming just for a meal, then that's probably a really good description because you have no idea. You're just looking for the luck of the draw, what happens to be left when you go through. But if the purpose is not just eating, but the purpose of this is fellowship, totally changes the purpose of our getting together. We have great fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is when you have something in common. Fellowship can mean more um, in common than just, well, we both had pie and we both had coffee. Probably one of the greatest joys for me over the weekend, over the last few days, over this funeral was that I experienced fellowship. I met with friends who are doing everything they can to reach the lost in India. They've been dear friends of mine for years. Had The Lord gave me the opportunity to go and be with them a few years ago in India. It was the most amazing time as my eyes saw what I had been hearing. Here was a man who in 1952 went to India. And back then, they just said, here's your part of India. He got the northeast corner of India. It was about 40 miles wide and 200 miles long, and they said, that's your area to evangelize. And then for some Methodists, they said, this is your area. And for some others, they said, this is your area. And any different group that came, they said, here's your area. You can evangelize India. And so he went there, and for the first, let me see, from, from 1952 until 1995, all those years, what is that, 52, 62, 72, 82, 92, so about 25 years, uh, 35 years, it's just the snow. Um, for about 35 years, in all that time, they had 15 churches. In the next, from, from 95 until 2000, they now have over 350 churches. Great persecution is going on. But you know, even though we, we only see each other, we, we communicate, we text occasionally. Uh, he's a doctor, he doesn't, his days are pretty full. He doesn't get home usually until eight or nine at night. And so he, if I text him and I get a response right away, I know something's wrong. 
But the reality is, you know the fellowship we have is because we have one thing in common, and that is we want to see people come to know the Lord. Fellowship, our commonality. We sat and talked for a couple hours, and I walked away refreshed. Another gentleman, I've encouraged you to really be faithful in your Bible reading and how easy it is with version to just read, let it read to you while you're driving. Go through the scriptures every year. So I meet a man and he says, I just want you to know, he said, I'm now at the place to where my goal is I at least finish the Old Testament once a year and the New Testament four times a year. And he said, and now my, he's a TSA man. He said, now my supervisor is also doing scriptures with me. And he said, and I have three co-workers that are doing the scriptures through the year with me. And he said, and we've started a Bible study. I can't tell you how that warms my heart. You see, I don't have to be with them. But we have fellowship because we have a common goal. In chapter 1, Paul says he has joy in the middle of sinful treatment, and he begins with this term, fellowship. And I want to just have us look at three common traits of fellowship this morning. First of all, let's begin in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I would like to encourage you with this thought, and that is fellowship begins with your mind. Fellowship begins with the mind. Paul says in verse 3, I am thinking about you. You you think of Paul's circumstances, and then you consider what he's thinking about. Paul is chained to soldiers. Paul is not free to go do things. And what does Paul say? You know what I'm thinking about today? I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you. He's just been through false accusations, shipwreck, and now imprisonment. And he said, Ev, I get thankful every time I think about you. And I can tell you, that's the way I view you. I get really grateful when I think about you. When I tell people, people always ask, so tell me about what's happening in Fargo. I don't know if they just didn't think people had houses and this was just igloos up here. I don't know what they were thinking, but... Everybody that I talk to, one of the number one questions they ask me is, tell me about the church in Fargo. And you know, every time I get to tell people about you, I'm just so thankful for you. I'm grateful for what God is doing through you. Paul says, I, you are in my mind. He says, I am thankful for you. I'm thinking about you. Verse 4, he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. He says, when I pray for you, I get joy. You're not a burden for me to pray for you. I pray for you and I'm energized. I am joyful because of what's happening. You see, fellowship begins in the mind. You can't just walk in and set down a casserole and say, we had fellowship. I mean, we might have something in common because we all had casserole, but the reality is that's not real fellowship. They were interceding for each other. The joy it brought me 
to know some of you were praying for me over the last few days. Your interest in what was taking place. What did that tell me? You were thinking about me. Of all the things you had going on in your life and you paused and you thought about me? That was cool. That's an amazing thought. And then he says, um, he says, I remember our common bond. Verses five and six. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What have we had in common that makes us unique? We both have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We both have understood God's gift and we've received that. And then look at verse 6. He says, and I'm confident that you will continue to change. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you, salvation, will continue that until the day of Jesus Christ. You see the confidence in the salvation, the confidence that it's not me holding on to my salvation, but it is in fact God who secures my salvation. And Paul says, every time I think about you, I think about what God is doing in your life, I get happy. I get joy from this. He said, our common bond I remember the beginning of the church. I remember the earthquake. I remember the jailer. We talked about this last week. Can you imagine every time, every church heritage day where they would celebrate the founding of their church, as you looked through the faces in the auditorium, as you looked through the faces there and wherever they were meeting, they would go, his story is so incredible at the jail. Her story is so incredible at the, at the river. And her story the one that was walking around behind Paul and was hindering the gospel is now the person that says, oh, let me tell you what God did in my life. I was in bondage to Satan and now I'm totally free. I was owned by these men who were syndicating me so that I could go out and tell fortunes and I could do these things and now I'm totally free. The testimonies of the church would be incredible as they remember their common bond. You see, joy comes by accomplishing the goal. What's your goal? Now, if my goal last night, last night I left Charleston, my flight took me through Atlanta, and I came to Fargo. Now, if my goal was just to get out of Charleston, once the plane took off, I'd accomplish that goal, right? Now the rest of my evening was just a waste. What am I doing just sitting in these tubes the rest of the night? Now, if my goal was to get out of Charleston and get to Atlanta, when I landed in Atlanta, that was good, but now what am I going to do with the rest of my evening? Now, if my goal was Fargo, and I had to sit in the back of the airplane, seat 28A if you wanted to know, And I really had a bumpy ride. And we missed our approach coming into Fargo. So all of a sudden now the gears are down, the gears are up again, and you hear the plane engines going really fast. And of course in 28A, when you lift your window, all you see is the side of the engine because that's where the engines were. So I have no idea where we are. 
And then I have to wait for everyone to get off the plane before I could even get to my luggage. Was I successful? Absolutely. I landed in Fargo. I saw my wife when I finally got off the airplane. You see, what was the goal? The goal was to get back here to Cindy and to see you today. So did I have a good flight? Absolutely I had a good flight. This was a great day. Now, the pilot almost spoiled my day when he had to do the landing a second time. But you see, I'm here. The path was not the issue. What was the issue? Fargo, Cindy, and you. That's all right, but Cindy. And all of a sudden, you say, all right, he had a great trip. Do you see what Paul is saying? Your goal, what's your purpose? Why do we meet together? What's going on in our lives? You see, Paul said, I think about you. And as Paul said, I think about you, then we go to verse 7 and 8, and I want you to notice the fellowship moves from thinking about you to fellowship now moves into the heart. He says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, y'all are partakers of my grace, for God is record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Fellowship moves into the heart, you see, in heart, because love is the hallmark of Christianity. In our study of 1 John, it led us to remember that Christians love each other. Christians care about each other. Christians express that love. That's why I'm so excited that Richard is helping us yet another time to be able to be developing this kind of fellowship. Richard and Shirley are in our hearts. And what do we get? We get to express this. And I'm thankful you let us do that. You know, that you don't go, oh, no, no, I don't need anything. It's easier sometimes to do it yourself, and yet you're letting us love you. You see, in heart, because love is the hallmark of Christianity, in heart, because of serving together. Well, what has drawn you together? Common Christian service that you shared. Now, Often when churches start, the people that meet together, the common thing they have is that they've all been hurt. Okay. But having, sharing the same hurts doesn't draw you together. They won't keep you together. I watched, you remember as we were trying to minister to the grieving moms? And I watched the dynamics they all had the common thing of having lost a child. But that didn't make fellowship. Fellowship comes when they serve together. So when someone in our church is going through a difficult time and we all come alongside and serve together, all of a sudden what happens? We have fellowship. 
We have something in common. We're doing this together. And like I said, that's why I'm so excited. Richard's giving us another chance to do this together. So we're doing cookies and we're doing bars and we're going to work on parking and we're going to move chairs. And at the end of the day, we're going to walk away and we will be a tighter group because we have served together. Some of you, even though you had heartaches in the past, what was the thing that still makes all those friendships so tight? You did things together. You served together. There's still great stories. They're wonderful things. But it wasn't the hurts that drew you together. It was the common service that drew you together. What are the common bonds that Paul talks about? He says, they stood with Paul when it was not convenient. Verse 7 Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. You all are going to experiencing the same things that I'm experiencing. When your friend is in jail, that's not the most convenient time to say, oh, that's my friend. Oh, your, your friend's the one in jail? Yeah, yeah, that's my friend. And sending care packages and all the things that they need. And yet that's really the time that your friend needs the help. So in Paul's bonds and in the defense and confirmation, the defense was the doctrine. They were teaching the same thing he was. The confirmation of the gospel was they were showing the proofs in their own life. Look what the gospel does. And our group has the opportunity to share. Look what the gospel does. God saved me from this, and this is what I am. And the people that know you see that, and they say, the gospel did something really different. So the gospel moves from thinking about each other to being in your heart, loving each other. And then I want you to notice verses 9 through 11 Fellowship finds expression in prayer. Notice his prayer. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. If you want to pray for me, that's my prayer. I need every bit of that. And as we pray for each other, that's the prayer. There's lots of things. As we start going through the scriptures, we begin saying, oh, we can pray for this, and we can pray for this, and we can pray for this. It isn't just, Lord, be with this person, because we already know this. He's already said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's okay. God understands our heart when we pray, but we really... I mean, obviously your prayer's already answered. So let's look and see, what does he say? I'm praying that your love will increase in knowledge and in judgment. In knowledge, what really is love? And in judgment, what does love do? You see those two? How do you really learn to love each other? Sometimes the most loving thing is not what the person wants. My daughter is, is teaching our little grandson what it means to sleep through the night, what it means to 
take naps. And Benji's not convinced. But you know what? The best thing for him is to sleep through the night. The best thing for him is to take naps. And therefore, she's doing some things that he would say, you're not being very nice, Mom. And she says, oh, no, I love you. Now, at first, as a young mom, you know what? She had a very hard time laying the baby down. Baby cried, Oop, back up again. And you know what? Benji said, I like this game. But he wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And she wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And all of a sudden, she began learning as a mom, here's how to really love. You know what Paul prays? He says, I'm praying for you that you would learn what love really looks like. And I'm praying that you would learn what love does. Well, imagine how this is going to only build the fellowship because if, if we learn how to really love each other and then we do those things for each other, this is going to be even more incredible. You're going to say, I have never had such a good time in church with other believers. Why? Because it's gone from a social meeting to fellowship. He goes on to say, to learn to approve what is excellent. You know, our discernment is going to keep changing to where we're learning this would be better than this. And this is better than this. This church won't always look exactly like it does right now, but that's not a bad thing. If we are really developing the way we should, we should be growing in our love, knowing what love is really like. We should be learning to approve what's better. And then he says, and I'm praying that you would be sincere and without offense. Now, those two sound like different things, but it's really the same thing. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm praying that you would be blameless. There wouldn't be anything in your life that's not supposed to be there. The word sincere has the idea of without cracks, and I'm, you probably heard the illustration, but if, if you have something that is made out of either pottery, usually it was stone, because stone would be very expensive, and all of a sudden you realize you've got a hairline crack in that. Well, what do you do? Well, they would, the person trying to sell it would fill it with wax so that you could never see the crack. But if you held it up to light, you could always see the cracks. And he's saying, I'm praying that you'll be without cracks. Kind of a different kind of prayer, but it's, it's the truth. I'm just praying that you'll be blameless. And filled with the fruits of righteousness. I love that. You know, usually with my, my typical Eeyore, sometimes kind of a mentality, I focus on you'll be filled with righteousness. That's not what Paul says. Paul's saying... I'm praying you're going to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Do you know the difference between righteousness and the fruits of righteousness? Righteousness is the action, and the fruits of righteousness are the benefits of the action. See the positive side of that? 
I'm praying that you're going to be getting the benefit of doing everything the right way. Well, obviously, I want you to do things the right way, but when you feel that, what do you feel? You feel the thumb on you, don't you? You better do it the right way. But that's not what he said. I'm praying you're going to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. I want you to have every benefit of doing it the right way. Because obviously, doing it the right way brings blessings. If it didn't, God wouldn't tell you to do it. Because God's good, right? God's word then always is the right thing for us. With that in mind, he says, I'm praying that you will do so many good things, that, that you will experience so many good things because you've made good choices. And when you do that, do you know when we are experiencing the fruits of righteousness, it brings praise to God? God loves it when his children are receiving the benefits of all the good things. It's a unique twist because so often we're told, do right, do right, do right, do right. But really, why do people tell us to do right? Well, is it to make them look good? Is it to make us look good? Is it all about image? No, it's all about the fruit. Even Paul, when he said, you know, I'm grateful you gave to me, but what did Paul say? I'm grateful you gave to me because I desired fruit to your account. I just want you to, I want you to get all the blessings. God moved Cindy and me to Fargo because we want you to receive all the blessings. We want you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. And you see, now we've got this fellowship. When we can look at each other and you know, even when someone says, you know, I'm concerned you probably, you shouldn't be doing that. The Bible says this is wrong. And you know, their goal is just so that you can get all the fruits of righteousness. You might not like it at first, but now you're not second-guessing them. Well, who do they think they are telling me I shouldn't be doing this? No, 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 no. I just want you to get the fruit. I want you to get the benefit. So Paul says, you don't, your circumstances don't have to steal your joy. Paul had joy because he had gotten the goal that was different than ease. If Paul's goal was ease, he wasn't interested. He wouldn't have been successful. He wouldn't have had joy. Paul's goal was to get to Fargo. Everything else, I got here. I mean, they could have given me a really smooth landing in Minnesota. I didn't want to be in Minnesota. I want to be in Fargo. So I take the landing, right? I'm all excited. Woohoo, I'm here. I got my wife. I see you today. It was a great flight. What are you expecting? What are you looking for in church? If it's all about the commonality that we share because of Jesus Christ, because we have common goals and we're going to serve the Lord together, then our circumstances bring us closer to Christ. When each of us, when we reach out and we remember what others have done, when we let our minds move into actions and then our passions dictate our prayers for each other, we've been very successful. Joy in fellowship. Any goals need to be readjusted? Have you lost your joy?
is it possible that you've had the wrong focus? Please don't feel beat up. Please be encouraged. You're not stuck.